Samuel. So you can look in your Bibles and find 1 Samuel. As always, when we read through the scriptures, we need to ask where we are at in the Bible and in the Bible story. We need context is important. So by putting this in a little context, we obviously are dealing with the uh, individual who is by the name of Samuel. Samuel uh, is what the Bible refers to as a judge. The judges were the 12 uh, people that God raised up. They weren't people in black robes who sat behind a bench, but rather the judges were leaders. Uh, they were um, people that God sent to lead his people and save them from their enemies. There were 12 judges, and Samuel was one of them. You can see in the Bible timeline here on the screen where we are at. We are in that spiral down right here. This is the period of the judges right here. We uh, are where God's people were going along, and during this time of the judges, as they were supposed to be following God as their king. It was a theocracy. God said, I'm your king. And as we move into this land, you serve me. But God's people rebelled against him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so as we read in the scriptures, people did evil in the sight of God. And right here, God would raise up a judge to rescue them, to save them, because he's faithful to his promises. And of course, then once the people were rescued and saved, they would stray away from God. They would fall into sin. Their, uh, their um, enemies would take over them. They would call out to God. He would save them again. That happened over and over and over again uh, in a cycle of 12 times. And this is really the low point in Israel's history because if you see the very last line in the book of Judges, it's just in front of Samuel. There's Ruth and then Judges in front of Samuel. It says in the last line in Judges, in those days... Israel had no king because they rebelled against God and everyone did as they saw fit. And over and over in the book of Judges, we read that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so here God is raising up Samuel. Samuel is the last of the 12 judges. You can see the list of judges here. Uh, you may recognize some of their names, Deborah, Gideon, uh, Japheth, Samson, and then there's Samuel who was the last judge. That's Samuel. The setting for this is in the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle? Here's a picture of the tabernacle, which was the portable dwelling place of God. Remember we went through Leviticus. God said, I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. And this was the place that he instructed his people to construct, to make for them. And so God's people, when they were in the promised land, and then when they moved into uh, I mean, when they, sorry, when they were in the desert and then when they moved into the promised land, they took the, uh, the tabernacle with them. And then as they crossed the Jordan River and they came into the promised land, the tabernacle then, as God stopped leading them, remember he led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God stopped leading them in a place called Shiloh. You can see on the map here, here is where Shiloh is. You can right here in the X. All of these are the tribes of Israel. When they moved into the promised land, each of the tribes got a piece of land. And they moved in here, and right here 
is after they crossed the Jordan River, they came in through here, they stopped here in Shiloh. That's where Shiloh is. Down here, we have a city. Anybody want to guess what that city is? I heard a couple. Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem right there. And by uh, our Bible geography, way up here is the hometown of Jesus. Which is, we, oh, close. It's Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River. Here's Jerusalem. Shiloh is right here. And right there is where the Ark of the Covenant stayed. For uh, Talmudic sources tell us for about 369 years it stayed there in Shiloh. You can see from uh, these pictures here, this is what Shiloh looked like in the day. Uh, the circular town, it was in the hills of Judea. And there outside the city is the tabernacle. Set up right here is the tabernacle. Today, if you go to the land, you can see on this slide, this is the remnants of where the tabernacle right here would have stood in the time of uh, Samuel in Shiloh. And archaeologists have dug in this area and they have found a couple things. They found this here. It has a little horn built on it. It was carved out. And uh, what, kind of, um, what kind of rocks have horns on them? Do we remember at all? Anyone? Altar stones. Altar stones have horns on them. And so they found this uh, right on, they found this altar stone there. They found this here too. It's a decorative pomegranate bell, which is probably only about this big right here. And this was a little bell that uh, we read in the scriptures that the priests were supposed to wear on the bottom of their, their gowns and so that people would hear them when they were coming. So they found these pomegranate bells there as well. And you can see what they found in the, in the rocks there are these holes placed every few feet, which probably more than likely held the tent poles of the tabernacle. And so we see the evidence here in Shiloh that, and this is important because often we think we read this and it's like, oh, who's Samuel? He's just some mythical character pulled out of here. But these are real people doing life with God, trying to faithfully serve them. And it just attests to the testimony of the truthfulness of God's word. And so here we are in Shiloh, in the tabernacle. You can see on this next picture here that most believe as it was there for 369 years that yes, they still, they still had the tent there, but God's people kind of spiffed it up a little bit. And they created some rooms around it, they created some places around it, so it resembled more like the temple that we know of in our minds from that was built in Jerusalem. So that's where we're at in our story. And so let's read this now together. I'm going to read this now. 1 Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Well, go lie back, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. 
My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Love that line. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, his, son, uh, his son's blasphemy God, and he, def uh, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called out to him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the top of the list of questions that are, I would say, most often asked of a pastor is the question is, is this, how do I find God's will? How do I find God's will? And I love that question because it tells me that, the peop that, that people and the individuals are actually seeking out God and they faithfully want to live into their, their commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And so they're asking, how do I discern and how do I discover the voice of God so that I can then walk in his ways? And I love that question. But often the struggling point in that question is at the front end because, yes, I will do the will of God, but I'm struggling to hear the voice of God in order to do the will of God. I'm not exactly sure what God wants me to do, where God wants me to go, what God is asking of me. So how do I hear the voice of God? I think that's the starting place when we are thinking about doing the will of God. We have to hear the voice of God. And I think the good news is that this passage that we just read here today helps us understand the foundational element into hearing the voice of God. It's probably nothing new. Probably nothing that's really, you're going to go, aha, that was a brilliant deduction by our pastor this morning. But it's foundational if we want to uh, understand and follow the will of God. And what we see here in 1 Samuel, as is, is we uh, keep our Bibles open today, we're going to be looking at a couple things. First, uh, in Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 3, 
There is a problem in verse 1. There's an overarching problem going on with God's people at this time. And do you see what the problem is in verse 1? It says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. Another word for that rare is scarce. It's just like we're not hearing from God. We're, 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 we're here in this period of Judges was like a three, 300, 400 year period and it says the word of the Lord during this time was rare. Could it be that God is not, not speaking? That God is not saying anything to his people during this time? They certainly aren't hearing it. And this, I, I believe, is kind of a new problem because when Moses was leading God's people, they heard the voice of the Lord. When Joshua was leading God's people, they heard the voice of the Lord. But now that they've crossed into the promised land and everyone is doing evil in their own eyes and they've rejected God as king, God's word is rare. It's scarce. And certainly, we know that the one or the ones who should be responsible for this would be the priests, right? Because we know that the priests were the ones that God called out and he separated and and we know from Leviticus all that they had to go through to be made holy so that they could stand in the gap between God and his people. It was the priests who should be speaking for God. It's the priests who should be the mouthpiece of the Lord. And at this time, you, if you look in your Bibles at verse uh, chapter uh, 1, we can see here in chapter 1 verse 3, that it tells us that Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were the priests of the Lord. So who should be giving voice to God? Hophni and Phinehas. They're the ones that are seeking God. They're the ones that are set apart, saying we are listening, discerning the voice of the Lord. But what we see is that they're not hearing anything. And the reason why is look at chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. The Greek word here is Belial. Belial. They were Belial. Scoundrels, worthless, wicked, ungodly useless that's Belial. that's what these guys were in their roles of priests they were worthless they were like the g in the word lasagna there was no point to even having these men here we see in verse 17 that it says here in verse 17 the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. Ah, is that not a dangerous place to be? I mean, if I showed up in God's sight, I would be nervous if I just had a little bit of sin. But they're saying these guys, their sin in God's eyes is very great. And as priests, they should have been holy, set apart. Yes, they would sin, 
but they would confess, they would do the sacrifices, they would be striving to be holy, but these guys threw it all out the door, and their sin was very great in the eyes of the Lord. And so do we wonder why the voice of God is not being heard? Why it's scared? Because we have the priests who are to be representing God, living their lives in wickedness and out in the world, following their own will and their desires. But, because we know who we are, we know who our God is, look at verse 18. But Samuel, where was he found? Ministering before the Lord. While Hophni and, and, while Hoff and Finn are out doing their thing in the world, we have Samuel who is ministering before the Lord. Samuel was different. Look at verse 221. It says the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Do you see the contrast here between these two that God's putting before us in this story here? We have Hoff and Finn who are supposed to be representing God as his priest, hearing his voice, but they are nowhere found in the presence of the Lord. But Samuel ministers before the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. And notice where Samuel was when he hears from God in chapter 3. Samuel was lying down, it says in 3.3, in the house of the Lord, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, obviously, Samuel was not sleeping in the Holy of Holies. That would have been a big misnomer to do in that age. But it's, the reference here is that he is staying in the tabernacle. Why? Because that's where God's presence is. And so Samuel is sleeping in the presence of God. While Samuel is sleeping in the presence of God, notice what Hoff and Finn are doing. Verse 2, 22 tells us that Hoff and Finn slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. They're out sleeping around outside of the tent. They're following their own desires and lusts when they should be in the presence of God, but Samuel's in the presence of God. And when Samuel's in the presence of God, God shows up. And God speaks. And Samuel hears him. I think that's the foundational element. That if we are serious about doing the will of God, and on the front end of that is hearing the voice of God, then we need to be found living in the presence of God. Because only when we are in the presence of God will we be able to hear from God. And a problem that I see is that while many are faithfully striving and they say, I want to do the will of God, the reality of their life is that they're living it outside the presence of God. And then a crisis hits, a decision has to be made, a struggle occurs, and they call out to God, but they're not in the presence of God. And so they're like, I can't hear him. I don't know what he's saying. God is confusing. 
And friends, I don't believe that's our God at all. Because if God says, follow me and be holy as I am holy, he's going to tell us exactly how to follow him. Exactly how to be holy as I am holy. Our God doesn't say, follow me, and then shrouds himself in mystery. And then puts a cloud around it. And then it's like playing hide and seek. I got to find it. Our God doesn't do that. He speaks to his people who are in his presence. I mean, there, this, this, this idea is, is kind of like what often will happen uh, when I'm uh, snow blowing out in my, my driveway, which, you know, just happened this week for quite a bit. And I get out there and, and uh, I, you know, got the loud snow blower on. And, of course, I, you know, I'm wearing a hat. And then over the hat, I'm wearing the, you know, the earmuffs or headphones because I got to protect my hearing because I'm old. And I put those on. And then I got a hood over that because I'm a wimp and don't want to get cold. And, I, and I'm down there at the end of my driveway, you know, snow blowing. And then uh, my wife Amy will come to the door in the garage. Honey, can you put these letters in the mail? I don't hear, right? I don't hear. Why? I'm not, I'm not close to her. I, I'm, I'm gone. It's not until I get in the house when I'm all done and said, well, uh, can you put these letters in the mail? I'm like, I'm all, I just finished. I was outside doing this. How come you didn't tell me before? I did, but you didn't hear me. Why didn't I hear? Because I was behind the snowblower at the end of the driveway with my earmuffs on and I couldn't hear a thing. And that's the struggle that many of us have hearing the voice of God. We are so far away. Our, our heads are so full of other voices hollering at us. We are so distant from God that if he would speak, we wouldn't even hear him. But our God speaks to us regularly when we are in his presence. And so I just want to encourage us as we begin this series here to consider today on how we can make sure that we are living in the presence of God. And I think there are three things required to be in the presence of God. And the first one is this, that for us to be in the presence of God, we have to be in Jesus Christ. We have to be in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. So Jesus Christ came for us to remedy that problem. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he won our pardon and he established our perfection. He defeated sin and death and he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. And because of that pardon and that perfection, the, the theological word is imputed. That is given to us. We exchange it with Jesus. He gets our sin and our punishment. And praise be to God, through his grace, we get Jesus' perfection, and we get the blamelessness of Jesus, and we are made right in God's eyes. And because of that exchange, because of what Jesus has done for us, when we are in Jesus, we can come to God with no fears. No worries. Paul says, let us go boldly to our God. Because we get, we're covered with Jesus Christ. But it's only through Jesus that we are able to come to God. Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. 
and I am the life. There's no other way to come to God. You can't meditate yourself into God. You can't be good enough to get yourself to God. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself into the presence of God other than to receive Jesus Christ in your life. And once you receive Jesus into your life, you are ushered into the presence of God. And, and thinking through that tabernacle image again, Paul says, don't you know that you yourself are now a temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you. So my question for you today is if you're struggling to hear the voice of God and discern God's will, are you found in Jesus Christ? Are you in Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted his punishment for you? Have you accepted his perfection into your life? Because that is the only way that we have access to God. Not only do we come into God's presence through Jesus Christ, but we also have to come into God's presence by making a daily decision to do life with God. We have to make a daily decision to do life with God. Jesus said very clearly, take up your cross daily and follow me. Because you're going to have a choice today. You can live over here in the world where Finn and Hoff like to live, apart from God, enjoying your will and your ways, doing what the world thinks is best and what the world is uh, casting out there is, uh, brings you life. Or you can live over in the presence of God, in truth, and in righteousness, and in holiness, and in a way that does bring life. That's your choice. But to do it, Jesus says, you got to put this to death. Take up your cross daily. Put this to death. Say, no, you know, you know where I'm going to live? I'm getting up and say, you know where I'm going to live? I'm going to live in the presence of God today. Because I know living with God, I know living by God's will and ways, Oh, brings life abundant. I know this is life, and this is what I'm choosing to do today. The issue is that so many of us try to straddle these two worlds. The second most asked question of pastors is this. Pastor Bob, is this sin? Pastor Bob, can I do this and still be a Christian? When I was a youth pastor, the number one question was, Pastor Bob, how far can I go with my boyfriend and girlfriend and, and still be a Christian? And that question gets modified in different ways as adults because what's behind that question is, I'm not sure that this is full life because I see what's going on in the world and I want this. This looks luring and appealing to me. So I, I want this, but I don't want to lose this. I want to, you know, when I die, I want to make sure I go to heaven and, and all is well with my soul. I want to make sure that, but while I'm here on earth, how close can I get to living over here? Can I live? Can I just put my foot outside of the tent? Can I just, you know, get where Phineas and, and Hockney were? Can I do that? Can I live there? The Apostle Paul tells us, no. He says, what you do is if you see that, you flee and you get out. And you say, I'm going to live in the presence of God. Because Jesus declared, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to hold on to one, and you're going to despise the other. 
So you need to choose where you're going to live. And we can see in our story today that when you live in the presence of God, God shows up. And you can hear from God. And you can discern his voice. And so maybe if you're struggling today to find the will of God, to hear God's voice, I would just encourage you to question where you're living. Are you living in the world? In the ways of the world? Or have you fully committed to living in the presence of God? Are you trying to straddle? Then stop and say, today I'm going to live wholeheartedly. And what did God ask of us? With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I'm going to live for my God. He'll be my king, my only king forever. He'll be my ruler, my only ruler forever, rather than living where everyone does right in their own eyes because they had no king. We have a king. It's not the government. It's not social media. Not any other voice that may be going in your ear. It's our God, and we have to live in his presence each and every day. And the third thing that I want to say about living into the presence of God is that we need to build regular rhythms and regular practices into our life so that we can hear the voice of God. We're going to say a lot more about this next week, so I just want to encourage you to come. This is really will be the point of what we're going to talk about next week. And you can see here in the story that Samuel, he did, he, yes, he was in the presence of God. God's voice came to him, but Eli had to teach him to hear the voice of God. Now, why Eli didn't do that with his own two sons, that's a whole nother sermon and a whole nother story. But he did it with Samuel. Samuel had to learn, he had to cultivate what was God's presence like? What was it? How do I hear the voice of God when it happens? And Eli taught him in the same way in our lives. We have to position ourselves and develop practices and rhythms where we are in the presence of God, where we can hear his voice, where we can say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We need to hear that voice in order to be able to do the will. I think of John 10, 3, where Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me that's what he said right my sheep the ones who belong to me my sheep know my voice and as a result they follow me and this comes out of the the shepherding context of where the bible is in and at night all the shepherds would bring all their sheep into a pen there could be two three four flocks of sheep coming into one pen at night for safekeeping and then the shepherds would would hang out at night and keep warm and then in the morning the shepherd would get in front of all those sheep maybe there's there's 200 300 of them i don't know and the shepherd would say okay guys come on follow me and the sheep who belonged to that shepherd would all come out of the pen and follow him why because they knew his voice and records tell us that when a shepherd would pass away, they often would have to then slaughter the rest of the sheep because the sheep would not follow anybody else because they only knew the one voice. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He says, my sheep know my voice and they follow 
me. And so we got to build the practices into our life where we can hear the voice of Jesus. And, and so many of us have other kinds of practices and rhythms in our life so that we're just filled with the voices of, of Fox News or the voices of, of The View or we're filled with the voices of TikTok or we're the voices of Facebook and uh, the voices of self-help gurus or even our own will and the practices that we have in our life are not oriented toward seeking the face of God, but it's living down here in this world. And we got to change those around if we want to be about God's will. And so we need to seek those kinds of practices in our life. It's the foundation. We need to live in the presence of God. I love this last line here because it said in verse 3, 3, 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That could be referring to the time of day. It's in the middle of the night. They kept they have to keep the lamp burning bright. That was part of the responsibility in the tabernacle. I think it's referring to the voice of God. Saying the voice of God was rare, but you know what? The voice hadn't gone out yet. And we watch our world around us see what's going on in our world today and we wonder where is God where is God what's he doing God has not stopped working God is still alive he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow he wants to speak he wants to communicate to his people and I think the problem is is that his church who now stands in the gap between God and the sinful world his church is living too much of their life outside of his presence. And friends, we need to get back into his presence because the light hasn't gone out yet. God always retains a remnant. And I think the challenge is that living in this presence, Jesus told us, he said, narrow is, small is the gate and narrow is the road. And only a few find it. But wide is the gate, and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. We need to realize, as, as God's people, that we need to enter through this gate. We need to live in this place, in God's presence, listening to his voice, walking according to his will, so that we can be salt in this world, and that we can be light in this world, showing the world the goodness of our God and the glory of his kingdom. It's in our hands, and it's actually in our ears, and we just need to tune them to hear God by staying in his presence. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for uh, this story which has been preserved by your people, pointing us to an important truth that we need to be people who who live in your presence. And so God, as we just take stock of that today, I just ask for those that are, that are here today, and myself included, that we would confidently make the choice, maybe sometimes the hard choice, doing the things that we have to do, uh, eliminating things that we have to eliminate so that we can live in your presence, God. May you move us there. May this church on this hill be found as a people who are solidly in your presence. May any who come through our door, may they say, there's people who walk after God. There's people who follow God. There's people who are walking in step with God. 
and because they hear his voice and they're doing his will. God, I pray that we will continue to be faithful to seeking you and to following your will. And may we do it faithfully. Give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.